0: So you obviously own this gym all this time and then also had the consulting business. When you reflect upon the gym ownership, if we go with that first, what were some of the core lessons that you took from owning that gym and going through that process of selling it? welcome everyone to the main journey a way for you to join me on a learning journey through life my name is samuel main and today we welcome jason skisik to the show jason a father and a husband is the host of the spear and clover podcast the show where military mindset meets the spirit of the puppy more on this to come Jason has coached hundreds of renegade entrepreneurs who bet it all on their passions, utilizing his degree in finance and experience in the commercial world to help break down the fundamentals of business. On top of this, Jason has owned a CrossFit gym in Chicago for the past 12 years, is an army veteran, having served two deployments in Iraq, and has a passion for Brazilian jiu-jitsu, woodworking, and restoring classic cars welcome jason thanks for joining me this is gonna be a lot of fun
1: samuel you honor me man i I really appreciate such a a wonderful write-up and i'm really excited to talk to you today man you've you've uh, really got a great thing going here
0: yes sir it's uh we've got so much that we align on i'm excited to uh to to chat especially with some of your background so i'd love to kick this off with a further insight into the spear and clover podcast how did this come to fruition
1: oh that's great man so i'm gonna to have to take you back i think three and a half years it was the summer about three and a half years ago um and so before the spear and clover was ever uh, a podcast or a business or a coaching program um the spear and clover has been a part of my core values and if you're watching the video uh, you can see i have the spear and clover clover logo uh tattooed on my forearm and uh, I'll tell you the story about it. So one of the things that I do every single week, typically when the weather is good, um, is I go on a ruck march with my two Australian shepherds. We live here in the Indiana Dunes National Park is right out my back, ho- back of my house. Uh, and so my dogs and I will go on a ruck march. And so one day... Uh, I have a 40 pound log on my shoulder and I have a 40 pound pack on my back and we're doing 11 miles. So I'm head down and hoofing. I'm working, working, working. And the dogs are running out into the woods and then they come back and check on me. And then they're running out into the woods and they're playing and rolling around in the mud. And then they come back and check on me. And so I'm head down, feet moving, working hard towards my goals. And the dogs are just fucking off and still keeping up with me easily. And so it just occurred to me in that instant that you know, this is a huge part of who I am when I'm at my best. I'm not only focused hard on my goals and, and 100% dialed in on laser focusing towards that task. I'm also taking time to enjoy my life, to spend time with my family and my friends, to pursue hobbies like you mentioned. Uh, and so for me, uh, my the spear and Clover logo represents two of my core values, which are military mindset, and spirit of the puppy, Uh, but really for anybody um, at its best, my show and the folks that I work with in my coaching business are people who are not only super passionate about achievement, but they're also, you know, taking time to enrich themselves, enrich others and spend time, you know, at play in their life.
0: Love it. I love the the spirit of the puppy. That's so cool. It's so cool also to hear that you've pretty much completely embodied this concept. And being able to apply it to then every aspect of your life, which is super interesting.
1: You know, it's funny because, um, You know, a lot of times we talk about like how to have great employees and manage great employees. And it's like, if you have it written down before there's a problem, it's so easy to manage that employee. Hey, we already agreed the bathrooms get cleaned at 11. Well, by me doing my core values and really discovering these things about myself, I now have it written down. And so even when I'm not naturally living up to it, it's so easy to snap myself back into it. And I also have this little five sided puzzle piece that I can hold up to the world and I can determine so much better why past relationships or situations either worked great or didn't when they when I thought they should have and I can analyze and and make better decisions about the future as well.
0: Love it. Love it. So you uh, on this tab is on this uh, run, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's where you load up very heavy with a yeah. backpack and uh, probably some more as well. Uh, knowing the, the crazy stuff, all the army vets get up to. Um, but what was the next step? You had this realization. What did you then go on to create or to do?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. So this has been a personal brand for me, it'll probably be on my tombstone, right. Um, and then about, it was a year ago next month. So it was a year ago in November. Uh, I sold my second business in two years. I sold the majority of my gym when I moved from Chicago to Indiana. And I sold my consulting business for gym owners yeah. uh, to my partner at the time last November. And so I decided to take a year of service. I haven't had a client, I haven't had uh, a partner, I haven't had any employees uh, up until very recently. Um, and I did a year of service, which meant that I started a podcast uh, where I would interview entrepreneurs and and just I've never gotten off of a phone call with an entrepreneur with with less energy than when I got on. It always, I told you before we even started recording, I can already tell that you and I are going to be fast friends and probably stay in touch. And I just love that. And that's been my experience more often than not. And so what I decided to do was, you know, people tell you, if you want to know what you should be doing, what would you do for free? Well, for free without being paid in the last year, uh, here's what I've been doing. I wake up every morning. I spend time with my wife and my my baby, Lucy, who's about 16 months old. Uh, I go to jujitsu and kickboxing class, come home, take a shower. And either I'm recording podcasts or I'm on calls with entrepreneurs for a few hours doing some you know, quote unquote, work, uh, helping people, connecting people. Uh, and then I spend time with my family. We put the baby to bed, and then it's it's time for for adult time, whatever that means, watching TV or, you know, whatever that may mean. Uh, and so I've done that almost every single day uh, with very few variations. Um and so spearing clover was the natural extension of just my life's journey. And I think that, you know, a lot of times I say there's two types of entrepreneurs, and I think I've been both. Uh, one type of entrepreneur who really wants to be successful, so they go and find a mission and create a business. And another type of entrepreneur who is so passionate about their vision and mission and the impact they want to make on the world that they're forced to turn it into a business. And that's where I find myself now. And it feels great.
0: Love that. It's so interesting. So I got so many questions. Off. I yeah. can't wait to, Hit to me. get into this. You so you obviously own this gym all this time, and then also had the consulting business. When you reflect upon the gym ownership, if we go with that first, what were some of the core lessons that you took from owning that gym and going through that process of selling it?
1: That's a great question. And one that for 12 years of ownership could probably take me 12 years to answer, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I was constantly learning about things that I was doing wrong or finding new insights about things that I had been doing correctly. Um, But just to kind of break it down in like an overarching perspective. Uh, Number one, I was very fortunate. I started the company uh, with nothing. We, we were living and going to college in Chicago and we had a stipend from uh, the the military and two other military friends. And I started a very dingy gym in a fourth floor of a warehouse. It was a thousand dollars a month for rent for a 7,000 square foot space, which if you know what that means, it was insane, but it was, it was probably worth a thousand. Like we were getting a fair deal. (laughs) Um, But we grew that uh the number one thing i would say is is i learned about operating agreements at a certain point that jim was seven years old and at a certain point my two partners decided that they wanted to spend their lives pursuing other things and we were very lucky that we were very close friends and we remain brothers to this day but we didn't have a good operating agreement we didn't have anything in place that dictated what should happen if people decide they don't want to do it anymore if people decide they want to separate or sell their equity Uh, that was definitely a big lesson that i learned Um, The second lesson that I learned was both in athletics and in business. When I tried to be the man, everybody around me wilted. As soon as I took a step back, it gave space for everyone to grow. And I'll address that for the athletes first. Uh, In the very beginning, and I I certainly am not uh, an an elite, a a top tier elite athlete, but in the beginning, I was probably the best or one of the best athletes at the gym and, and would just win every workout. And for some reason, we just, we didn't have a very competitive athletic output at that time. And you see this a lot of times in pro fighters gyms, yep. by the way. Um, but there was a time when I shifted my focus to uh, weightlifting. I also had a shoulder surgery, so I had to take a step back. And then all of a sudden, as if by magic, we had tons of competitive athletes. And I would say at this point, but when I was getting ready to leave, I was at my least athletically competitive, still healthy and fit. Um, and my athletes were at the highest level that they had ever been. And then separately, I could say the same thing about business. There was a time where I tried to wear all of the different hats. There was a time where I was, I was the only one who could coach, right? Because it's impossible to take the magic between my ears and give it to anybody else. Uh, and I found that actually by taking that leap of faith and putting in all of the hard work to codify what I had previously thought was magic into a scientific document that could help my team to energize these different roles that I had been trying to do for so long. Uh, all of a sudden I took a half step back and everybody under me took three or four steps forward. We dominated in that first year um, and and just ever since then I've I've found that I do want my business to be the fuel for my rocket ship but the number one thing that I can do is be the fuel for theirs as well.
0: That's powerful, it's powerful. it's really interesting the transition you went through of almost being an athlete to a business owner in a way Um, because i see that quite a lot and especially in the crossfit world where the barrier to entry to owning a gym is lower than uh most other commercial gyms and a lot of owners still run their gym because they want to train and they want to work out whereas actually you know, it's a business. And you can very distinctly see the difference between a gym that's run by an athlete compared to a gym that's run by a business owner. So that's super, super interesting that you mentioned that. Um, So then you went through this process of selling the gym. Can you talk me through that? Because it's not something that I've actually discussed much with many people. What does that process look like of selling a gym or specifically a CrossFit gym?
1: Yeah. So I should start out by saying that I was coming out of school. I, while I went into finance uh, school, mm-hmm. I started the gym same year. Yeah, And then when I graduated, I became a commercial banker. And so my job was to analyze companies to determine if they were credit worthy to help them if they wanted to buy another company or if they were going to be selling to another company themselves. And so I did spend a lot of time being trained by the biggest bank in the world uh, to actually do this separately. I I recommend all all gym owners, especially of service businesses, read the book Built to Sell. The book Built to Sell changed the way that I looked at my small business. Uh, And in such a way, even if you don't plan on selling it, it makes your business much more enjoyable to run. Uh, But to kind of explain a little bit of the things that, that that meant for us, number one, when you have a small business, you can't be the tribal chief with all the tribal knowledge. Because then they can't buy you. So there's nothing, there's no value unless, you know, maybe your gym is worth the equipment and the membership if you have contracts for X amount of time. Right. But, but what you can do and what has gone through in in detail in built to sell is you can take the magic that's in your brain and you can codify it and scale it out scientifically, not magic, but scientifically to your team. And once you have a proven process where you can say, Hey, look, I have $5 of ad spend. I can go buy a customer. I have $5 of ad spend. I can go buy a customer, whatever the number might be. Once you do that, now you have something marketable. In order for something to be valuable, so that's a cash flow fix. In order for something to be valuable, let's take a look at our balance uh, statement. Most gym owners decide whether or not to, to have a contract based on if they feel like going after people with collections or whatever the case may be this is missing the point. The reality is you're never, unless you want to go to court for $430 or whatever it might be, you're never likely going to enforce contracts uh, in that way. But what we did find is as soon as we went from having no contracts, let's say we had 300 members at the time, my balance sheet said that I was worth like $76,000 or whatever the the depreciated value of like the rubber on the floor and like the plates, right? Um, The moment that I... Uh, that I capitalized our contracts with our empl- uh, with our clients. And then they, they, um, I'm not going to get into too much detail. I could, uh, all of a sudden my company was worth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and it has been ever since and so when you want to make your company marketable or frankly when you want if you just want to be able to go in and get a loan from a bank to go buy more equipment or start a second facility you need to be able to demonstrate regular repeatable cash flow which is code for a acquisition system and good retention right and then you need to be able to show the value of this business here's a pile of contracts oh and by the way you can see our track record of collecting 97% of our contract value or whatever
0: it's it's so interesting because i'd be very intrigued on how many gym owners or business owners do actually know their numbers to that level of detail um and that essentially leads me into then my next question is what are the most common mistakes that you see gym owners or business owners uh making
1: for starters, I don't know that I would say it's a mistake. I would almost say they're cursed by what they're blessed with, you know, and the thing about fitness, and there's very few industries like this, I could think of a few, like being a rock star, I guess. But uh, in fitness is one of the only businesses where the only reason you get into it, unless you buy like a some sort of franchise is because you're super passionate about fitness for yourself, for people to help change people's lives. I don't think that most insurance agents start insurance businesses because they're super passionate about writing policies. They want to make money. Lawyers want to make money, right? Um, But in fitness, that's the case. Well, the problem is, is so many people are so passionate about the thing that they think, if I can just crush fulfillment, i've talked to a thousand people that have this story you just got to get in the door of my gym and you'll never want to leave we have the best community we have the best culture i have best xyz tactics and the philosophy that we have we squat with our knees over our toes oh we squat with our hips behind our heels whatever man it doesn't matter because you're not getting the people in the door right and so uh the biggest mistakes that people have are probably number one thinking that being a great fulfillment Being a great experience is going to make you a successful gym. That's number one. And the number two, I call call the beautiful butterfly complex. The beautiful butterfly complex is on the one hand, I have an idea that I'm a visionary entrepreneur. I'm an expert in my field and I'm a beautiful butterfly. And on the other hand, how come everybody can't do what I tell them to do exactly how I want them to do it? Well, it's because you are either a beautiful butterfly or everybody is exactly capable of what you are. Those two ideas cannot coexist. And so what I try to teach people is, you know, what you think is magic is actually science and it can be reproduced if you take the time and, and, and do that. And then the last thing that I think people struggle with the most is you mentioned to it. It's not knowing the vital signs of the body of their business. It's mm-hmm. not tracking KPIs. They don't know how much it costs to acquire a client. That's the most powerful thing I ever learned. Once I figured out how how much it cost me to buy a client, I just had to figure out what I wanted to charge and how much times ROI I wanted to make, and then immediately things turned around. Uh, that's that's one thing. Know, knowing what your retention is, knowing uh, knowing when to predict. I literally have a drawing up of it on this whiteboard right here. Knowing when to predict when you're going to lose clients. Those types of things. People, I would I would literally wake up in the morning every single day with my firing eye closed just in case there was a, a firefight. <laughs> And I would look at like three numbers before I ever got out of bed. It was the first thing I did. Um, and and I have, I still continue to do that in some way, but I'm not currently running a, a business with KPIs. So uh, it's a little different.
0: Love it. You are quite literally speaking my language.
1: I know. I can <laughs> tell, man. Game recognized game, buddy. I, I saw a kindred spirit as soon as we got on. I love it.
0: Um, yeah. So the, one of the things that I do with my personal coaching clients and I help businesses um, scale, predominantly online i have them focus on three different areas which is client inflow which is exactly what you've spoken about yeah. uh, fulfillment capacity so often how many clients can they handle and then client lifetime value and these are yeah. all of these metrics that you're speaking about so i'm i'm smiling from ear to ear yeah. over here so you've gone through this process then of, with the gym you also started the uh, consulting business that you that you mentioned um, can you tell me a little bit more about that and you know, that process for you of starting that up and then also selling this gym, uh, that business or in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we're getting ready to launch a, so if you're talking about my previous business, correct. So I was um, I was involved in a very large uh, mastermind for gyms, the biggest one, gym launch, uh, from a very early stage. I was one of the very first people in that mastermind, and 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 was able to learn a ton uh, from Alex and Layla Hormozy, who are still uh, very important to me and near and dear, um, as well as many other gym owners that I developed relationships with. There, uh, we used some of the information that they gave us. To scale our gym rapidly. We went from $9,000 a month to $90,000 a month in about 18 months. Uh, We we grew incredibly. Uh, You want to talk about fulfillment capacity, we could talk about that for another hour and a half. I have all sorts that we could talk about ways to figure out how to fit the sardines in the can and and give them a great experience. Um, But uh, from there, um, I became a coach for them and, and really enjoyed it. It was an unbelievable opportunity. Uh, it was a part-time thing because from the bank, I learned I'm nobody's employee. Well, at a certain point, they wanted to level up their professionalism. And so they canceled the part-time program, which meant I had to either decide to be an employee or would have to stop coaching. And that was just not an option for me. And so me and and one of the other coaches uh, from that company started a company called FitBiz Uh, Innovators, which became Fitbiz University. Uh, And we worked with a couple hundred entrepreneurs, and that company continues. I sold my portion of it to my partner uh, when I determined that I just wasn't um, interested in continuing to only teach tactical stuff to gyms. Uh, And so for me, um, this last year has given me time to think about what I wanted to do next. And I'll tell you, I didn't start with the idea, I started with this question What would I stand on a mountaintop and fight for? And, and really sell and really push. And those things are, are simple. If you've been listening this entire conversation, you probably already know what they are it's core values, it's foundations like core values, uh, mission statement, understanding how to set big goals and then break them down over years uh, to achieve them. It's scaling the magic between your ears from inside of you to out into a team using uh, frameworks that are designed to make it so that, so everybody on the team has zero uncertainty on what they can be doing right now to win your championship, right? I'm from Chicago. And then the third thing we do, Is flow. So we teach you how to manage the team from the field, how to know what numbers are important, what numbers aren't that important, and how to track them regularly without having to be knee deep in spreadsheets all the time, uh, which is why we're launching a software as well. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about the metaphor. Uh, The reason we named the company what we named it is this. For 30 years, I've been a Bears fan. And over that time. Every single year, they hire a new coach, they draft the best players, and they bring in new playbooks. And every single year, we lose. And every single year in Green Bay, they've had the same two coaches for 50 years. They've had the same two quarterbacks for 20 years. And it seems like no matter who's on the field, every single year, they're they're in the fight. They're in the fight for the championship. And it just occurred to me that there are these dynasty organizations that we all identify. And I think if you're listening, you know who yours are. And I hope you're one of the fans of the dynasty, not of the other ones. Uh, and it just occurred to me that that's, it's not about winning is not about who's on the field. It's not about who's coaching and it's not about the plays. It's that is a big factor, but what it's really about is the organization, the foundations of what you do and your ability to bring people into that system and get them turned around and in the right direction as quickly as possible. And so that's why I'm helping people build dynasty organizations and we're called dynasty defined. So that's what we do. So cool.
0: So yeah. cool. I love the, uh, I can relate to it so much. You've mentioned the core values a lot. So how do you develop true core values within a business?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I actually have the way that I've come up with over years, kind of borrowing from a couple of different things. Um, but it starts with this, understanding that core values are not who you wish you were. Your core values are the ember that burns inside of you, good or bad, that has gotten you to where you are. And it's up to you to define them. So the only thing I can tell you about core values is that you definitely will never have them precisely defined. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to do the best job we can to identify those traits that make us us so that we can see them in others and we can see them in the things and decisions we make along the way. And so that process takes a few weeks, uh, but typically it starts with making a list of who you are and being as honest as you can. And then I help you to winnow it down to, I prefer to have, anywhere from three to five core values, never more than five. Um, and I, I also have a way where I, um, like a lot of times I think people's core values are, are very undirected, which means they could have five core values about how tall they are. It's like, yeah. okay, well you got one thing nailed. And so I have core values for different elements of who you are and, and sort of how you behave and, and things like that. Uh, and then, and then you just you copyright it. so you yeah. you take the essentialist path, you try to you know say more by saying less. Um, and it's, uh, it's it's like my favorite thing to do.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. And obviously that then grows from yourself, your own values, but then also into your team and into your business, which is super important. So you've also mentioned about training a team, yeah. but how do you go about building? A, an actual strong and efficient team that's going to help you scale your business? It's a great question. So uh,
1: I should backtrack just a half step though. Uh, there are two different types of core somethings. There's core values and there's core tenets. Depending on you and your business, there's going to be an, a, a, a better path for you. You should choose one or the other. If you're like the charismatic, tribal, central figure of a community, or if you're selling a lifestyle, if you're liquid death it's core values, you're selling a version of yourself. And there's some huge value to that. Uh, The value being that the people you employ should reflect you and should be effortless to spend time with, uh, but they're really hard to find. Core tenants are the behaviors with which you wish to conduct business. We want the customer to be always first. We want never to turn down a request. We want to have it always on time. We want to under promise and over deliver, whatever. Those are tenants. The nice thing about that is you can find more, a broader audience to live up to tenants and you can enforce them uh, to change towards those tenants. If you find a core value mismatch, you're almost never gonna be able to get them to become a core value fit. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I love that approach too. It's not something that I've heard much of. I've heard um, people using values in, um, to aid in the hiring experience and actually kind of assessing someone by their values.
1: I, I mean, do that. Yeah, I, I do that for me personally. So so to step back to hiring, um, and I'm actually putting out a free course on hiring in the next month. So if you're listening to this, come check out spearingclover.com uh, because that's going to be on there for free because it's something that I think uh, I, I've been doing a lot of market research for this course. Uh, and the number one thing that people have told me, it used to be leads. The number one thing is finding employees that won't quit, yeah. uh, because I think I think what people are finding is that you can't just hold money in front of people and get them to be, you know, a slave to your business anymore. Twenty twenty has rearranged people's priorities. The skill that I or the the fortune that I've had, Samuel, is that I've never done that. If you own a CrossFit gym, you become an expert of employing a professional team who doesn't make a lot of money. They're yeah. there because they love it, and they're there because they're passionate. And so I've had this advantage I never even realized until the world fell apart because we didn't lose staff. We yeah. barely lost that many clients. We did eventually over the course of time, but we got a lot of those folks back. Uh, I have employees that. Work for you know andrew who's my my business partner and runs the gym day-to-day now but they've worked for us for 10 years some of these people and there's a reason for that and it's because we draft as opposed to trading and so for my business we draft we find people that are core value fits and then we teach them the tactical stuff they need to know and and how to be a part of the team and and because we've already identified them as fits um when I've t- personally tried to trade for other professionals from the field, uh, I've had varying levels of success, but it hasn't been quite as good. That being said, that's how I do it. There's a lot of people that I know that that are very effective at trading for other professionals, You know, having a, a great uh, negotiation process that results in an unbelievable employee. But you do need to sort of decide, do I want to be somebody that drafts talent or do I want to be somebody that tra- uh, trades for talent? And for me... I love investing in people like when I talk about my staff, I'm talking about family, like we've gone on trips together. We took the team to Hawaii one year. Uh, we've gone in RV trips to the CrossFit Games. Uh, you know, I was just at a wedding recently where there was probably 30 people at a 150 person wedding all from the gym. Uh, and it. so, you know, I, I think I think if you're listening to this and you're familiar with CrossFit, I think, you know, the the, 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 power, way the that power
0: that community. Okay so it's really interesting so i've had i've hired probably 10 people in the last like 3 or 4 months um it's a challenging process there's no easy way to, to go through it if anyone who's hired a lot of people uh, it's a lot of interviews it's a lot of uh, reviewing the resumes it's a lot of uh, debate in a way if there was one piece of advice that you could give to someone that was making their first hire or was starting to build a team what would it be
1: It's better to wait a year for the right person than to hire the wrong person today. No matter how bad it might feel what you're doing right now, if you're doing everything, it's way more detrimental to have a second person because what happens is a second person who doesn't fit. Because what happens is you'll actually end up spending all of your time trying to make sense to them. They're not gonna understand the, the way that you're communicating with them. It's very, very difficult. Especially if you're talking about your first hire. I'm not talking about, you know, Microsoft or something. No. Uh, but yeah, that first hire, you know, you're essentially looking for someone to to be a second brain walking around your body, right? And and I have one of those right now and he's doing unbelievably and he didn't start that way. It's been a process of meetings and loom videos and SOPs and four hours documents and all sorts of other things. But now I look at everything he does and I don't even have to edit it. It's because it looks like it's coming out of my brain. Uh, and I have probably... 10 people I could introduce you to that, that I would say, like, it's almost, it's almost effortless. I don't have to do or say anything. I, the, the work that they do is immaculate and it's because of the time and love and effort and and closeness of the, those relationships.
0: Love that. What I'm also picking up on is throughout all the businesses you've developed, no doubt you've had to work incredibly hard to build these businesses, learn the lessons of managing the teams. And then also, develop the processes, the systems to be able to actually remove yourself in a way from those businesses. So if someone right now is the jack of all trades, they are doing everything in their business, what steps can they take to start to remove themselves from the business and to get to the place where you are, where you've got this now freedom to do what you'd like?
1: So I think the very first thing that you have to do is you have to look in the mirror you have to become someone who doesn't assume that you're right about everything that doesn't hide behind limiting beliefs that doesn't, because these are stories we tell ourselves to keep us where we're at in this comfortable place. You know, you may have had a bad experience hiring somebody. You may have, you need to understand whether it's extreme ownership. If you want to go the Jocko Willink route uh, or, or whatever, uh, you need to understand that everything that happens in your business is you're responsible for. And so in order to, for that first cell to divide, you need to have the mindset of number one, it's not about me being right with my opinion. It's about me seeking the correct thing. And as soon as you do that, you're right all the time. I get into a disagreement with somebody. And as soon as I figure out they're right, I go, oh, you're right. Now that's my opinion. So I'm right. Cool. Like I never lose arguments anymore because I'm so willing to be wrong. Well, in the same way at business, you need to be so willing to go like, what, what, what do you think? What, what, how would you solve this? And if they say something that's just patently false on its face, explain to them why. You know, One of my mentors and a very close friend of mine, Martin Rawls-Mean, uh, I, I worked for him for a little while. And uh, not only is he the most successful person that I can call a close friend, uh, he's also never, I've never seen him raise his voice at an employee. I've never seen, he's the smartest person I know probably. And I've never seen him make anybody feel stupid. And those are the types of traits that real winners have. I really believe that. And he's never worried about competition either. You know what I mean? It's the people that are scrapping in the middle. It's like the people at the very top and the people like chilling on the beach in in LA with no job or house. Like those are the people who like really got it figured out. It's just this guy ended up doing it and also being successful.
0: Love it. I love it it's really interesting hearing you speak you've got so much knowledge in so many different aspects the business the managing of teams the health and fitness side you've clearly also been on a big journey yourself to raise your own awareness the personal development some of the spiritual stuff too Um, i'd love to just get an insight into your journey from a personal development point of view and how you've got to this place today where now you know from the outside looking in it's uh it's exciting to see you're on this this clear mission and building some really cool things. Um, yeah, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that personal development journey that's gone alongside the business journey.
1: So, for starters, thank you by the way. But for starters, let's talk about identity. Mm-hmm. I think as a young man and women too, but I can't. I can speak to a young man. Yeah. As a young man, your identity very young. Your identity is ascribed to you. Oh wow, you're fast. Oh, wow. You're strong. You're dumb. You're not good at math. You're good at reading, whatever it is. Your, your identity is ascribed to you. So it's it's something that someone else tells you what it is. And I know people that are in their thirties that are still like, I'm the strong guy. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. Be happy, be the strong guy. But early on in your development, your, your your identity is ascribed to you. And then there comes this time, especially in the seekers that I that you're talking about, and I know are the people listening, are the seekers. We're looking out. Who are the five people that I want to most be mm-hmm. like? Who are the, who should I be around? I, I, a lot of times I talk to people like, I was in the room with this person. Great, dude. You're in the room with that person. So was the guy that washed his car yesterday. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean much. So level two is like, we are now looking outward and we're trying to reflect this Vitruvian man from, from outward and then to us. And I think if you're lucky and you, if you continue this process, you all of a sudden stop looking outward and then you start to fold it back in. And the beauty of that is... Once you start looking inward for your own identity, it's fractal, which means it's infinite. It, t- it folds in within itself. And there's just an endless abyss or uh, whatever you want to call it that you can look into. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I alluded earlier, I do solo missions every single week. I spend time without a phone on, uh, without anybody else around other than my dogs or my baby sometimes. And I just go for a walk. I do float regularly. Uh, I do float tanks regularly. And these are just times where I just think about my place in the universe. Sometimes I float around like an otter and just don't think about anything. Other times I I take some problem, whether it's a business thing or a relationship, and I blow it up like an engineering diagram and look at its constituent parts and pull things down and move them around and try to put it back together in the most efficient way possible. These are things that I do all the time, but I have to create space for myself to look inward. Like imagine right now, I was back in Iraq, digging holes 12 hours a day, seven days a week, which is what I did when we were there. Um, I was on a road crew, we were pulling cable. I didn't have the space to do self-development. I had to create that space, and you know, there's all sorts we could talk about there, like time studies and figuring out, you know, what your activity makes it seem like you're focused on versus what you think you're focused on. Because yeah. so I think a lot of times those two things are different. Uh, but yeah, personal development is a lifelong thing for me. Um, I do know wonderful people, and I mean this. I'm not. I'm not just saying this. I know genius people that are wonderful to be around who have no interest in psychedelic drugs or taking taking themselves looking internally with a microscope or you know floating around and thinking about their place in the universe they would rather you know hike a mountain and shoot an elk you know whatever like and that's fine like that's wonderful that's the beauty of this life's experience but if I'm speaking to you and you're hearing what I'm saying and it 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 touches you in that way like feel free to reach out because I can talk for days about just the concept of you know of that yeah
0: it's so interesting. There's a few things I picked up on there. Uh, you mentioned about there's the famous Jim Rohn uh, quote of you're the average of the five people. I heard yeah. a different variation of that today where it's not you're the average of the five people. You're the average of the five thoughts that you have. And I was like, oh, that's powerful if you really sit and think on that. Um, and then also I love this uh, essentially practice, I suppose, of looking inward and kind of, you um, taken off those layers that society, let's say, has, has put on us. Um, was there a specific trigger for you to change your life or to, to start going down this spiritual kind of personal development journey, or was it just a natural progression for you?
1: Man, that is a really good question. And one that nobody has ever asked me before. So I haven't thought about it much. Um, I remember being young and reading constantly. Mostly fiction. Yeah. Uh, I remember being in the military and reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and The yeah. Art of the Deal and all these other, you know, kind of early, uh, yeah. early for me, uh, business development, personal development type books. Uh, and I remember uh my first mastermind was probably that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the Barbell Business Mastermind, which was cool. hosted by the Barbell Shrugged folks. Shout out to Mike Bledsoe and Doug Larson and those guys. Um that was the first time that I saw more success, like super successful people really opening themselves up to each other and really like being, being real and like exposing nerves. And like, you know, I'm I'm talking about people with currently like millions of followers and they're sitting there, you know, at the table and they're like, I don't even know if I'm good enough to do this, or I don't feel like this person that everybody thinks that I am. And so I think because I did that pretty early in my journey, um, that's been helpful for me to understand that that we're all just humans uh, and we're all just kind of bumping into each other out here trying to do the best we can. Um, It's definitely given me a lot more grace in struggle, like when people are on the wrong side of me or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So I've spoken to a lot of people about their trigger um, and it sounds like from what I'm hearing, you've always had this interest in the business side and the spiritual side and it's just kind of picked up and developed and developed uh, as it's gone and then it's also interesting now that looking at what you're currently doing in helping with their business with the core values uh, the managing the teams um, and also kind of stripping back the layers i suppose in building these dynasties and how it's all linked Yeah. yeah i agree with that
1: i also while you were speaking just remember when i was a kid like the things that i couldn't get out of my head were like where does space end? And then what's after that? I, I would always have these questions and I would be bothering teachers and they'd yeah. be like, dude, you just got to stop. Like, and so I've always been somebody that's like, like I ask why until I can no longer ask why. And then I'm still kind of hung up on it a little yeah. bit too, you know? So that, that is something as well. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think, I think there's just, there, there is an entrepreneurial arc, uh, care mm-hmm. personality type. You know, I think that Alex Charfin, who's also a mentor of mine, um, Alex Sharfin talks about that. Well, he's got a whole book about the entrepreneur personality type. And I think that's just part of us. Um, and, and I think that it's different than the CEO personality type,
0: you know, I'm currently reading the book, um, How to Break the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenser. Full oh. transparency, I understand extremely little. <laughs> of the book so far. It's one of those that you need to read, sit with it, read again, yeah. reread it. Um, but it talks about it. Well, it actually delves into like quantum physics and how uh you know everything 99.9% of the world is atoms. I think that would be something a, a book that you'd love if you haven't uh delved into I have into not,
1: that. I've heard his name, but I've never read the book. I'll have to check that yeah, one on my list. It's pretty intense,
0: it but it talks about space and how that's relative to us. And I think, yeah, I think that would be something that you'd uh that you'd really enjoy. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about the business that you're creating now and what you're leaning into and especially because you've you've ticked the boxes with the previous business you know from what i can see financially you've got yourself to this healthy place you've taken now this last year to sit to think to give yourself the space and now you're in this process of developing another business, which seems to be coming from now, not a place of like scarcity and necessity of having to pay the bills and to build this business. Now it's a place of, no, this is truly something that I want to do. Um, that's that's really exciting. So I know that there's a launch coming up, But can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what it is that you're specifically doing in that business and how you help people?
1: I give people, I sell three things. I sell health, I sell wealth, and I sell relationships. That's it. Um, and and I think that as much as I would love to dig into like all of the tactical things that we will walk through in this course, it's a 12-week program. Uh, it's It's a cohort program. The biggest thing I could tell you is, I'm so glad that I read Essentialism uh, by Greg McCown right before I really started to actually create the course, because I think there's this thing where you go like, I know all this stuff and I've learned all these lessons and I'm going to write a 15,000 page book and then everybody's going to throw it away. (laughs) And so what I've actually done is very, very simple. And it's very, very essential and and foundational. And so what this journey will be like is going through very short, I'm talking like a minute and a half long videos about a concept then working on it a little bit, playing around with it, and then bringing it to the workshop, which we're going to meet together in a group to discuss. Because to me, the CrossFit community, uh, the business I had previously, just spending time with me in life, I'm always connecting people and and love spending time around other people. Uh, I spent time at my friend Mark England's boathouse a couple weeks ago. There was like 30 of us in a four-bedroom house, and it was wonderful. And so to me, it's like pass on information, challenge people's limiting beliefs and build community of like minded people that want to take over the fucking world. And that's all.
0: I absolutely love it. It's so great that you mentioned about wanting to pass over that education. Yeah, because I also done this, I built a, a massive course that's honestly, it would be worth a considerable amount of money, because the amount of value that is in that course. But as soon as I started working with clients, they were like, I don't want to go through that can you just tell me quickly and i'll go and implement yeah. it
1: so yeah. i was like huh wait
0: a minute there's a yeah. steep learning curve for me uh, for me here and it sounds like you've kind of gone through that well that i
1: also yeah i also take the position that i don't have all the answers but i have really good questions and so like if you want your business of your dreams there might be somebody out there who can tell you exactly what decisions to make where you're going to end up with the business of your dreams but I can tell you that I can hit 99 out of 100 people just by asking them the right the right questions. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'd much rather, because when that person comes to you and says, hey, what's the best fire marketing play that I can run to make 50 grand next month? I could go, all right, what is the ideal client that you want? And then they have to think about it a little bit. And they go, well, I think I want that. Why do you think that? Well, because we've had success with those folks in the past. Why have you had success with those folks in the past? Well, we found that we didn't have to argue with it as as much and we didn't blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's interesting. And what were like some shared values that you guys might've had? And then all of a sudden we're back at core values. (laughs) And so it's like, yeah, get the fire marketing play, but stop fucking paying for it and start understanding what's going to work for you. You know what I
0: mean? I love it. Is there a client that comes to mind where you've delivered just this unbelievable result? Um, and if so, like what was their story?
1: So I am actually right now going through getting testimonials from folks that have been uh, in my programs mm-hmm. or have worked in the past and had good results. And I can tell you that. The people that I work best with—I'm not going to shout people out by names just because I don't yeah. know how they feel about that—but you know, one of them uh, was a successful bodybuilder, had previously been a, a drug dealer, uh, and then became a gym owner. Had done pretty well based off his own uh, effort and his team, and he had good ideas and very good technically. And then, as soon as he did the work that we're talking about, he—he he went from I think he said he had he told me the number to the letter because he remembers everything now. Uh, As soon as we had that conversation um, and he went from like $9,000 to like $78,000 a month or something. It was in five months. Uh, Then there's another couple who's like alpha couple, wonderful, beautiful, like, uh, you know, virtuous people with a beautiful successful family and college sports, the whole thing. Um, And they've been doing it all forever. And the thing that I helped them with was just, figuring out how to do it all without being stressed to the nines all the time, understanding how to plan out into the future. You know, I think sometimes when you're when you're stuck doing oil changes all day, it's really hard to build a supercar, you know. Um, And uh, so I I can think of several people. But if I were to describe that person, it's somebody in a service business who's got a big mission that they really are passionate about. And they're already profitable, but there's a lot of waste and their scale is limited. And That's so like you've, you've figured it out. You figured out how to be good at what you do. You care about it. You try, you give your customers a great result. I can help you how to reproduce that result through your team and to scale your impact on the world.
0: Love that. And the impact of that compounds so, so much. So Oh so yeah.
1: Because you see, I, I mean, I've, I can point you towards a few different gyms that have started out of our yeah. gyms. I can point you towards a few different business coaches that I used to coach. I can point you to you see what I mean? So yeah, I think, um, uh, Doug Larson from Barbell Mastermind and Barbell Shrugged uh, talked to me about, I think he called it like the cycle of enthusi- enthusiasts or something like that. He's like, you start, You let's use CrossFit as the example he was using. He's like, you start out unwell and unfit, you find CrossFit, it changes your life, impact of one. Then maybe you start training a couple of people in your garage, impact of call it 10. Then you go, all right, guys, we're going to get a space, impact of one hundred, maybe if you are crazy lucky, three hundred. Maybe if you are like in a big city, four, five hundred, right? And then you go, I am going to work with gym owners. Now you work with a hundred gym owners who each have tribes. Great, you are a you are the the wolf leading a pack of wolves leading packs. Great, love that. What I am trying to do now, and and trying to remove as much of the price barrier and commerce barrier as I can, is through the podcast and ultimately through the coaching to impact the leaders of leaders. And and that's what we're really trying to do.
0: That's awesome. shout out to
1: Aaron Guyette, by the way, for leaders of leaders. I love that.
0: <laughs> that's a great quote. Yeah. Uh, all of your links, Jason, are going to be down below and in the description. But where would be the best place for someone to go to learn more about you or to, to access anything that you've got uh, to give away at the moment?
1: Yeah. So it's spearandclover.com. Uh, you can learn about our programs. You can learn about me, about some of the things that we've done and what we're doing. Uh, we also have a free discord channel. It's the spear and clover community. You can access that in the show notes below, or you can access that on our Instagram. Our Instagram is spear and clover, uh, or Jason ski with no space, no dot. Um, and then I'm also on everything else, but Instagram is my preferred social media. So.
0: Love it on all the platforms. Good to see. Yes, and then, sir. Jason, I have a question that I ask every single one of my guests that come on the show. And this question is: What advice would your future self give you in this current moment, dude?
1: You're the second person that I've ever heard ask that question that I can th- that I can think of, and the other one's me. I always ask that question. I always ask that question. I love that question. Uh, I think that I'm probably wrong about what I can and can't do. Uh, I think I'm probably wrong about some of the things that I think I'm going to do easily. And I know that I'm wrong about some of the things that I can't do. Uh, I've always told myself that I didn't like public speaking. uh, And and I think uh, I'm being told that I need to start doing that a little bit more. Uh, And so I think the advice that that person would give me is not to wait five years before I start doing it. Like I waited five years before I started posting regular content on social media. So I I think that's probably the biggest thing and uh, maybe just spend as much time as possible with my family and
0: friends. Dude. Amazing. Love it. Love it. Jason, this has been so much fun. You have an incredible way of sharing value, but also allowing people in uh, to to link that to your story, your journey. And it's very evident that the path that you're taking and the path that you're going on is going to be successful. You've got a proven record. And I'm excited to see where that goes and where that grows to. Um, And yeah, we're definitely going to need to do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, stick around, man. I'm excited to see your journey as well. Thank you so much for having me, man.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, Jason. All right, brother. My name is Samuel Main and I truly hope that you've got value from today's video. If you have, please do hit like and subscribe down below and I'll see you in the video tomorrow.